Hey there, welcome back. And let's see what's going on in Modest Touch. Thanks for 312k, even though it's just law enforcement. Surveilling me without a warrant. It's 24-7 for several years now. Let's see here. CBS News is live. Nikki Haley continues on campaign trail after Civil War backlash. Stupid. Stupid cow. Diaper Don said, this is my touch, Diaper Don suffers back-to-back -back court losses as judge rips his lawyer's incompetence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Diaper Don predicted blue six as followers on Maine Secretary of State Shanna Bellas following her disqualification ruling. Everybody send her a notification. To counterbalance all the death threats she's probably going to get from Diaper Don supporters. Followers. Everybody send the main secretary of state a note of thanks to counterbalance all the death threats she's probably going to get from Diaper Donald followers. The same people complaining about the crime rate are the same people violently acting out against those following the rules of law and constitution. <laughs> people who are threatening to commit violence against bellows should be dealt with immediately by state and federal authorities as domestic terrorists plain and simple yeah let's get on this stop putting up with it let's say it. yeah great great idea i totally agree need to Our authorities should be dealing with these. Okay. So, what's her name? Shanna Bellows. <laughs> Thank you, Shanna Bellows. Thank you, Shanna Bellows. Main Secretary of For protecting us from this menace to society.
So I just posted like uh, two courses, two law, pre-law school courses. Oops. Oh, I forgot. 94, 100, oh, and on zoo. Yeah. No, I just want to sell like that. What the fuck? 24,000 words? Yeah, uh, Let's see, I posted uh, Law Students Toolkit. Right, Shinabellos. Thank you, Shinabellos. Hmm. It's not letting me share with Twitter. Federal judge shuts down MAGA group's last-ditch defense one hour ago. Case got way bigger. Diaper Don gets instantly outmatched by Jack Smith's latest move. Nice. Instant foolishness. Diaper Don lawyer instant makes a total fool of herself on live TV again. <laughs> okay, let's see here. Denied. Let's check If this your out. energy bill is more than $100 a month, you should try this trick. It's the best way to save on heat. This is Michael Popak, Legal AF, based on a new federal court ruling. Over 1,000 documents seized from 48 different electronic devices belonging to Project Veritas. Oh. Two of its quote unquote reporters and its former, uh, its founder, James O'Keefe, are being turned over to the FBI yeah. to continue their criminal investigation nice. against them related to the Yay. theft of Ashley Biden's diary, the, uh, the daughter of Joe Biden during the campaign, a diary that almost ended up in the Trump campaign hands and was brought and passed around a Trump fundraiser in Jupiter, Florida, of all things, before it was ultimately illegally sold to Project Veritas by a woman who found the diary in a rental house. I'm not making this up. She found the diary in a rental house or a house that she was residing in during the COVID crisis in a bag of items that belonged to Ashley Biden because she had stayed in the house just weeks before. Those two people that were involved in the actual finding of the uh, diary and then bringing it, listen to this, bringing it to a fundraiser for Donald Trump attended by Don Jr. in September of 2020 in Jupiter, Florida. They've already pled guilty to uh, committing the, the federal crime of trafficking in, in stolen goods across state lines. That's a crime. The investigation against Project Veritas and James O'Keefe and two of the quote-unquote reporters that were involved in buying the diary and trying to use it to embarrass Joe Biden and, of course, Ashley Biden, um, that investigation has sort of been on ice a bit because the search warrants that were issued by a magistrate judge were already executed, but the Project Veritas side objected because they argued that there was a First Amendment privilege because they're, they're a news organization, that there's a reporter privilege, and they shouldn't turn any of those documents over along with attorney-client privilege. Now, this uh, I'm going to tell you what happened, then I'm going to tell you how we got here. 
uh, Judge Torres in the Southern District of New York Federal Court, having reviewed the report and recommendation of a special master, a referee, if you will, appointed by her, former federal judge Barbara Jones, who, had, who methodically reviewed all 48 devices, came up with a thousand or so documents, determined that of that batch, uh, most of them, almost all of them, are not covered by any privilege, certainly not First Amendment, certainly not reporter privilege, and certainly not attorney-client privilege, is just about ready to hand it over to the FBI, and now we just have to have the federal judge either accept or reject the recommendations of the special master, this former federal judge, Barbara Jones. And based on this order, she has accepted in large part the entirety of Barbara Jones's recommendation, meaning about a thousand documents, emails, texts, and communications located on these 48 devices of O'Keefe and these two other Project Veritas employees are now gonna be turned over directly to the FBI to complete their investigation and then hopefully a, a Department of Justice indictment. How did this diary come about? Uh, how close is it to the Trump Organization? And what has been the role or involvement of the MAGA Congress and House related to the uh, Biden diary? We've heard a lot, too much, in my opinion, about Hunter Biden's uh, troubles and problems and their attempts in Congress. And in the House to try to use that to, quote, unquote, impeach uh, Joe Biden. Let, let me put something out on the table. Joe Biden and his family had a, a, um, a tragedy that you wouldn't want to befall your worst enemy. Um, and it had an impact on the children of Joe Biden. And it's just the way it is. It's just life. We call that life. Right before Joe Biden was um, to be sworn in as the youngest uh, senator in our history, um, there was a tragic car crash, and it took the life of his wife and some of his children. The surviving children, Bo, who died of a brain tumor, Hunter, whose um, struggle with drug addiction is, has been well chronicled, and Ashley Biden, too, has struggled with drug addiction uh, coming off of that. And so, but they're private citizens, and they're not elected officials, and nobody voted for Ashley Biden or for Joe Biden. And she's not; she, she and Hunter are not the only people who uh, children of successful elected officials who have suffered in some way from um, drug addiction and the like. It's there, there, there's plenty of examples um, that I could give you if I wanted to list them. Now, that the diary got left behind, unfortunately by Ashley Biden when she stayed in the house of an old boyfriend in Delray Beach, Florida, during COVID. When she moved out, this other woman, Amy Harris, moved in, who happened to be a Trumper. She also knew the boyfriend, and she needed a place to stay. Apparently, she was in some sort of custody battle with her husband, her ex-husband. She found the bag of Ashley Biden's belongings, and, and rifling through them, not belonging to her, she found the diary she then immediately, rather than calling Ashley Biden and saying, hey, pick up your stuff, your diary's in here, I'm sure you don't want it to fall in the wrong hands. She was the wrong hands in which the diary fell because she called a friend of hers, Robert Kurlander, who had been convicted and served almost four years in prison for federal fraud uh, and also a Trumper and said, look what I got. You know, I'm making this up, artist rendering. Oh, I got the diary. What do we do with it? And so they went down two tracks. One, they traveled within Florida to Jupiter in the north, Jupiter, Florida, to attend a fundraiser hosted by Liz Fago, a big Trumper. 
Don Jr. was there, and they passed the diary around the fundraiser, people reading it. Think about that for a minute. Your deepest, darkest secrets inside of a diary that's now being looked at by the enemy at a fundraiser over cocktails. Don Jr. says he never looked at it. I think we'll leave that to the FBI to get to the bottom of that in interviewing him under oath before we take his word for it on social media. But I can at least make a reasonable guess that if Don Jr. knew about the diary at the fundraiser, that Donald Trump knew about the diary at the fundraiser, and certainly Project Veritas in lobbying members of Congress to get the criminal investigation off their back, paid a lobbyist lawyer $50,000 in order to try to get MAGA Congress people to back off what was then the Trump, the Trump Department of Justice, not the Biden Department of Justice, because Biden hadn't yet been elected yet. And then later when he was, you know, to try to interfere with that criminal investigation. In the meantime, the FBI is just trying to do its job. It gets to, along with the Department of Justice, both uh, Kurlander and Harris, who stole the diary at the beginning, pled guilty to trafficking in interstate stolen goods. Now the focus is on Project Veritas. Project Veritas is busy. Uh, big Trump organization. Trump loves Project Veritas because they go after democratic causes and they go after liberal media or the news media. In fact, Project Veritas currently has a case against the New York Times alleging that everything about them that they've, that they've written is false and defamatory, while the FBI continues to investigate them for trafficking in, in Ashley Biden's diary. So this ruling by Judge Torres, in which she has accepted and adopted Barbara Jones's, the special master's evaluation of the 48 devices, determining that most of it has to go over to the FBI. It's not covered by attorney-client privilege. And the judge also did her own analysis of the First Amendment and what's called the qualified immunity privilege, the qualified reporter's privilege. In our country, the media and the First Amendment, if they, uh, in order to protect confidential sources, is often given a privilege that they don't have to disclose their confidential sources, they can't be sued over it, or of course they can't be prosecuted over it, if they're performing legitimate media reporting functions. That is the healthy fourth estate in this country that we admire. That's not Project Veritas, not when it pays $40,000 for a stolen diary, calls up Ashley Biden, um, impersonating a good Samaritan in order to get her to confirm the providence of the diary and then try to and then try to publish it. Right. And then go to Congress to try to get the, the uh, investigations uh, stubbed out. That's not the qualified reporter privilege, nor is it the First Amendment. And that's what the judge has analyzed in her opinion. So with Judge Torres's new decision in which he's declared that there is no First Amendment privilege properly applied by Project Veritas, nor a reporter privilege, this thousand uh, 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 documents that were taken off of 48 cell phones and devices is now going to be turned over to the hands of the FBI as they continue their investigation and ultimately the prosecution of James O'Keefe and the other quote-unquote reporters for Project Veritas. Now, uh, Ashley Biden, as an aside, just to show you how uh, all of this sort of comes together, and uh, we have similar lawyers and overlapping judges involved with things related to Donald Trump. The lawyer for Ashley Biden is Robbie Kaplan. Robbie Kaplan is the lawyer that's suing uh, or representing uh, E. Jean Carroll in the successful defamation and rape case from the summer 
and is currently representing her in a case that goes to trial in just two weeks against Donald Trump, also brought by E. Jean Carroll for punitive damages and defamation again. Uh, she also, uh, uh, Robbie Kaplan, represents a number of other plaintiffs against Donald Trump. And here she's representing Ashley Biden to make sure her rights are further protected. That's, uh, that's Robbie Kaplan. Uh, Barbara Jones, who I referenced as being the special master, she is the special master appointed by Judge uh, Torres to review the to have reviewed the 48 devices picked up by the uh, search warrant executed by the FBI. She's also the same special master, former federal judge that was appointed in the Rudy Giuliani Ukraine lobbying investigation from two years ago when during a, a dawn a raid or execution of the search warrant, he was caught in his pajamas and had to turn over his 30 or 40 devices. Same Barbara Jones. Barbara Jones is also right now the financial monitor that is overseeing all of the Trump organization and Donald Trump businesses and assets in the New York uh, civil fraud case brought by the New York Attorney General. A very popular and busy and well-respected former judge, Barbara Jones, involved here too. We'll continue to follow the sordid tale of the theft of Ashley Biden's diary, the use of it by the Trump campaign or attempted use of it by the Trump campaign, the, re the potential review of it by Don Jr., what Donald Trump knew and when did he know it about the Ashley Biden diary and the like. Uh, and we'll see if it pops up in the purported impeachment charade at the uh, MAGA Congress level. Only one place on the Midas Touch Network on this YouTube channel. I'll continue to bring it on hot takes like this one if you want me to. Give me a thumbs up if you like this particular analysis and content. And then follow me and watch me along with my, my co-leaders of Legal AF, Ben Micellis, Karen Friedman, Ignifolo, uh, in one, one place on Legal AF, the podcast, on Wednesday and Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern time on this YouTube channel. And then on audio podcast platforms of your choice. So until my next hot take, and until my next Legal AF, this is Michael Popak reporting. Thanks so much for watching. We're only a few subscribers short of 2 million subs. Please subscribe right now to the Midas Touch YouTube channel for free and help us grow this unapologetically pro-democracy network. Go on to the next one. When we got posted just uh, a little while ago. Okay. Bear. Okay. Um, so on um, 17 minutes ago, appeals court swiftly crushes Diaper Don's hopes again. Whatever you can give today, whatever we'll you can give today, we'll go on. much further than the so, same donation later on. So we have to finish the we job. We have a lot of. We have this to finish team by the my job. side, I know we will. So chip in today. We have to finish the Let's job. Sounds like it's 
It's Michael Popak, Legal AF. Oh, what Making a tangled us web. give him a blowjob or something. Donald Trump immunity, but we're going to untangle it right here. We got a new ruling against Donald Trump related to immunity, yeah. but this time civil immunity from suit. He claims that the Metro Police can't bring their lawsuit against him for damages, emotional, physical, mental, and otherwise related to his leading the attack on the Capitol and the insurrection and the um, and the rebellion. Uh, yes or no, D.C. Court of Appeals, what say you? Well, we, we sort of anticipated that today they would rule against Donald Trump and find that he cannot dismiss the case brought by the Metro Police because his actions, whatever they may be, are outside the outer perimeter of what a president is allowed to do officially or what they are immune from, from prosecution or suit related to. Has to be outside the outer boundaries and into the world of criminal conduct and or at least campaign conduct as a one-term president tries to make himself by by feet of of uh, conspiracy and feet of insurrection into a second term president. And so we had a ruling today that's unpublished. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about in a legal AF law school breakout session what an unpublished decision means. Uh, but I'm able to talk about it because they actually did put it on the docket. And I'll tell you what the impact of it is, not just on the civil cases, but on the criminal immunity issue that's going to be up at the U.S. Supreme Court by mid to late January. Let, let me kick it off right here. What happened today? Judge Chief Judge Srinivasan ruling for a three-judge panel, applying the blasting game decision from just two or three weeks ago, said, yeah, we just ruled three weeks ago that if you're at the outer perimeters, beyond the outer perimeters of presidential conduct, you don't get immunity. And not everything you do is of a public concern so that your speech related to it is given immunity. That was Donald Trump's main argument. Every time you hear Donald Trump in a defense, it's always free speech, First Amendment right. I get to talk about things of public concern. And the panel here, led by the chief judge, said, yeah, no, that can't be the test. Anytime, whatever you do, you're always talking about a public concern, and therefore you get immunity from suit. That can't be the test. The test has to be the outer perimeter test of graphing your conduct against your functions as president. And there's things that obviously are going to be outside of those those uh, functions that make you uh, make you uh, vulnerable or liable for civil civil claims against you. And in particular, in this unpublished decision, I know that's the second time I've said that. I'm going to explain what unpublished means in a minute. But in this unpublished decision, <clears throat> this is what the court led by uh, Chief Judge Srinivasan said just today. In affirming the trial court, Judge Mehta's decision not to dismiss the Metro Police case uh, right now on, a, on the pleading stage. I mean, things could change as we move towards trial not at the pleading stage, not right now at the inception of the case. In Blasingame versus Trump, this court held that former President Donald J. Trump had failed to demonstrate at the motion to dismiss stage, the very inception of the case, before people answer the suit, that he was entitled to absolute presidential immunity from certain civil damage claims against him. These claims arose out of actions he allegedly had taken related to the Jan 6th Capitol riot. President Trump had contended that he should be afforded immunity because his alleged actions constituted speech on matters of public concern. That's it. That's my get out of jail free card. I was talking about something that people are interested in, and therefore I have immunity. And this court said no. Just like we said in Blasting Game, that doesn't work. doesn't work here either. Such speech was, in his view, invariably an official function. 
We rejected that argument, Judge Srinivasan says today. The Supreme Court, we observed, had made clear that absolute presidential immunity is an official immunity that extends to no further than the outer perimeter of a president's official responsibility. And we reasoned, and they cited uh, Paula Jones versus uh, uh, Bill Clinton. When Paula Jones had an affair with Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton denied it. There was defamation resulting, and he tried to use presidential immunity. And they said, nope, affairs are outside of your official functions in the outer perimeter. Judge Srinivasan, in the current decision today, went on to, to, uh, to uh, reason on page two. And we reasoned that although a president often acts officially when, matters on, uh, when speaking on matters of public concern, he does not always do so. A public concern test, we therefore concluded, was ill-suited to determining President Trump's entitlement to immunity. Instead, the court continues on page two. The salient question in Blasingame, we explained, was instead whether President Trump's alleged actions reasonably could be understood as official function of the presidency, in which case official act immunity would attach, or alternatively, whether they reasonably could be understood only as re-election activity, in which case it would not. And that is the heart of even the criminal analysis of immunity. Was Donald Trump, because if he's off in the world of the Trump campaign and, the, and Donald Trump trying to turn his losing first-term presidency into a winning second-term presidency by feat of alchemy, by feat of using an insurrection and a riot to obtain that and cling to power. If he's wearing Trump, Trump campaigner-in-chief hat, he's not only violated the Hatch Act, a separate body of law that makes criminal public, uh, public servants who are getting paid to do an official function, who, who end up electioneering or campaigning outside that, but he's also taken himself out from under the protection of immunity because there's no immunity for campaigner-in-chief. That's why, in another hot take I did earlier today, the Ken Chesbro, the failed felon former Trump lawyer, his new evidence, his recordings of his statements to the Michigan attorney general, who's prosecuting the fake electors and potentially Donald Trump, is so powerful because it links Donald Trump through the campaign on the pressure campaign and the fake electors taking him out from under absolute immunity. And all these judges are treading lightly right now below the Supreme Court about immunity decisions. The D.C. Court of Appeals' decision in Blasingame is the only decision law of the land. It is the law of the land about the application of absolute immunity to the outer perimeters of a president's conduct until the U.S. Supreme Court rules differently. Thanks to big-hearted people like you, Arizonans in need won't go hungry. Donate to St. Mary's Food Bank today and get a dollar-for-dollar dollar no Arizona charity. In the meantime, that case has been cited by, by judges like Judge Chutkin, 
looking at criminal conduct of Donald Trump and trying to map the absolute immunity or presidential immunity or official act immunity some way onto this conduct to graph it and see if he falls inside or outside that immunity, citing Blasingame. So it has precedential impact and weight and momentum. Cited by, for instance, the main secretary of state, you know, uh, when she ruled just yesterday that Donald Trump is off the ballot, buried in her 33-page report, which we did not take on, <laughs> is Blasingame. So it, it reverberates. It has uh, weight, and it gains weight and momentum the more people cite it and rely on its analysis. But people are treading lightly. That's why this particular decision about the Metro Police by the chief judge is not published under Rule 36 of the D.C. Uh, rules of the Court of Appeals. Meaning, unless there's a motion for reconsideration or an en banc decision that changes this order, blasting game is the law. We're just applying blasting game. This, this decision adds nothing to that, right? And we don't want it to detract from the power of blasting game. Therefore, we're not going to officially publish this. That doesn't mean it's not on the docket. I, I didn't steal it in order to read from it, okay? It's out there. It's on the docket. But in terms of being a a piece of precedent that is used by courts, unpublished decisions, especially under rules like Rule 36, have less power and weight. You wouldn't cite, for instance, this decision that I've just gone over with you. If you were drafting your brief, you would cite Blasingame. You might say, see also this case once it gets published, if it gets published, but you don't need it. In other words, they're backing away to make sure that the 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 precedential power and weight of a case just decided three weeks ago is in no way infringed. They're, they're getting out of the way of blasting game. That's all they're doing here by saying it's unpublished. And therefore, if I'm a writer, a legal writer of a brief, I'm probably I'm not going to cite this case. I'm going to cite, I'm going to go back to the source. I'm going to go back to the precedent of blasting game. And people are being very, and judges like chief judges, are being very careful right now because the U.S. Supreme Court and its watchful eye is about to intervene in things related to Donald Trump and immunity. Both, I'm sure, on an appeal from Blasingame, but more importantly and more quickly, more with more velocity, the decision-making about presidential immunity's application to criminal conduct. And the fundamental question in our, in our constitutional republic, not just for Donald Trump, but going forward, for other Donald Trumps, or worse, whether we're going to be a, 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 a constitutional country that allows people in the office of the presidency to commit crimes and get away with it through presidential immunity or not. What is the essence, the existential essence of our democracy? That's up for the nine justices of the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, I know people are worried about it's a MAGA court. It leans tremendously right. It's got a couple of MAGA people on there. And I, I would agree with you that Alito and Thomas cannot be counted on to do the right thing in their, in their eventual voting here. However, I do have a certain amount of confidence in John Roberts, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh on this issue related to Donald Trump and the application of immunity to criminal conduct to do the right thing. We'll continue to follow it, see if I'm right or wrong. I hope I'm right. I hope for America and democracy I'm right, based on my analysis. But we'll follow it one place, the Midas Dutch YouTube channel. Help them get to 2 million free subscribers by the early part of 2024 and follow us on legal af on wednesdays and saturdays at 8 p.m 
where we do hot take breakdowns like this, but with two of us, with a, almost 100 years collectively, give or take, of legal experience, Karen Freeman Ignifolo on Wednesdays with me and Ben Mysalis on Saturdays with me. And then on audio podcast platforms of your choice, give me a thumbs up if you like this kind of constituted speech on matters of public concern. That's it. That's my get out of jail free card. I was talking about something that people are interested in and therefore I have immunity. And this court said no. Just like we said in Blasting Game, that doesn't work. It doesn't work here either. Yeah. Such speech was in was in his view invariably an official function. We rejected that argument. Judge Srinivasan says today, the Supreme Court, we observed, had made clear that absolute presidential immunity is an official immunity that extends to no further than the outer perimeter of a president's official responsibility. And we reasoned, and they cited uh, Paula Jones versus uh, uh, Bill Clinton. When Paula Jones had an affair with Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton denied it. There was defamation resulting, and he tried to use presidential immunity. And they said, nope affairs are outside of your official functions in the outer perimeter. Judge Srinivasan in the current decision today her. went on to, to, uh, to uh, reason on page two, and we reasoned that although a president often acts officially when, matters on, uh, when speaking on matters of public concern, he does not always do so. A public concern test, we therefore concluded, was ill-suited to determining President Trump's entitlement to immunity. Instead, the court continues... On page two, the salient question in Blasingame, we explained, was instead whether President Trump's alleged actions reasonably could be understood as official function of the presidency, in which case official act immunity would attach, or alternatively, whether they reasonably could be understood only as re-election activity, in which case it would not. And that is the heart of even the criminal analysis of immunity. Was Donald Trump because if he's off in the world of the Trump campaign and, the, and Donald Trump trying to turn his losing first term presidency into a winning second term presidency by feat of alchemy, by feat of using an insurrection and a riot to obtain that and cling to power, if he's wearing Trump, Trump campaigner in chief hat, he's not only violated the Hatch Act, a separate body of law that makes criminal public of public servants who are getting paid to do an official function who, who end up electioneering or campaigning outside that, but he's also taken himself out from under the protection of immunity because there's no immunity for campaigner-in-chief. That's why in another hot take I did earlier today, the Ken Chesbro, the failed felon former Trump lawyer, his new evidence, his recordings of his statements to the Michigan Attorney General who's prosecuting the fake electors and potentially Donald Trump is so powerful because it links Donald Trump through the campaign on the pressure campaign and the fake electors taking him out from under absolute immunity. And all these judges are treading lightly right now below the Supreme Court about immunity decisions. The D.C. Court of Appeals' decision in Blasingame is the only decision law of the land. It is the law of the land about the application of absolute immunity to the outer perimeters of a president's conduct until the U.S. Supreme Court rules differently. In the meantime, that case has been cited by, by judges like Judge Chutkin, looking at criminal conduct of Donald Trump and trying to map the absolute immunity or presidential immunity or official act immunity some way onto this conduct to graph it and see if he falls inside or outside that immunity, citing Blasingame. So it has precedential impact 
and weight and momentum, cited by, for instance, the main Secretary of State, you know, uh, when she ruled just yesterday that Donald Trump is off the ballot, buried in her 33-page report, which we did not take on, <laughs> is blasting game. So it, it reverberates. It has uh, weight, and it gains weight and momentum the more people cite it and rely on its analysis. But people are treading lightly. That's why this particular decision about the Metro Police by the chief judge is not published under Rule 36 of the D.C. Uh, rules of the Court of Appeals, meaning unless there's a motion for reconsideration or an en banc decision that changes this order, Blasting Game is the law. We're just applying Blasting Game. This, this decision adds nothing to that, right? And we don't want it to detract from the power of Blasting Game. Therefore, we're not going to officially publish this. That doesn't mean it's not on the docket. I, I didn't steal it in order to read from it. Okay, it's out there. It's on the docket. But in terms of being a, a piece of precedent that is used by courts, unpublished decisions, especially under rules like Rule 36, have less power and weight. You wouldn't cite, for instance, this decision that I've just gone over with you. If you are drafting your brief, you would cite Blasingame. You might say, see also this case once it gets published, if it gets published, but you don't need it. In other words, they're backing away to make sure that the, the, the precedential power and weight of a case just decided three weeks ago is in no way infringed. They're, they're getting out of the way of blasting game. That's all they're doing here by saying it's unpublished. And therefore, if I'm a writer, a legal writer of a brief, I'm probably I'm not going to cite this case. I'm going to cite, I'm going to go back to the source. I'm going to go back to the precedent of blasting game. And people are being very, and judges like chief judges, are being very careful right now. Because the U.S. Supreme Court, in its watchful eye, is about to intervene in things related to Donald Trump and immunity. Both, I'm sure, on an appeal from Blasting Game, but more importantly and more quickly, more with more velocity, the decision-making about presidential immunity's application to criminal conduct. And the fundamental question in our, in our constitutional republic, not just for Donald Trump, but going forward, for other Donald Trumps, or worse, whether we're going to be a, 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 a constitutional country that allows people in the office of the presidency to commit crimes and get away with it through presidential immunity or not. What is the essence, the existential essence of our democracy? That's up for the nine justices of the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, I know people are worried about it's a MAGA court. It leans tremendously right. It's got a couple of MAGA people on there. And I, I would agree with you. That Alito and Thomas cannot be counted on to do the right thing in their in their eventual voting here. However, I do have a certain amount of confidence in John Roberts, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh on this issue related to Donald Trump and the application of immunity to criminal conduct to do the right thing. We'll continue to follow it, see if I'm right or wrong. I hope I'm right. I hope for America and democracy I'm right based on my analysis. But we'll follow it one place, the Midas Dutch YouTube channel. Help them get to 2 million free subscribers by the early part of 2024. And follow us on Legal AF. On... Okay. Already doing that. Losing again and again. Great. Great news for about that. Diaperdon gets instantly outmatched by Jack Smith. Latest move. The case got... 
way bigger. Hello, I'm Hello. Patrick Stewart. I'm Patrick Did Stewart. Did you know that right now Did you know that 70 right million now, people 70 have million to Based on our reporting at CBS News, the special counsel has phone records. He has memos and diary entries from key witnesses like former uh-huh. Vice President Mike Pence. <laughs> key eyewitness testimony from people who were inside the Oval Office with Trump. CBS correspondent uh-huh. Robert Costa said he has sources saying Smith's case is sprawling. That it's a sprawling case against Donald Trump more than had previously been thought by anyone. But that just tells me that people don't really know about the power of the subpoena, the warrant, and the prosecution. But let's talk about it in a minute, but let's play the clip first. Yes. As I look ahead as a reporter, the campaign is going to come back again and again, likely to the high court, and how it's going to consider Trump's conduct in and around January 6th, whether it's the immunity question, whether it's about the January 6th defendants who have their cases coming before the Supreme Court, whether it's about how the court's going to proceed if Trump's convicted in the special counsel case. All this comes down to what was an insurrection? What's an insurrectionist type act? What was the president's role? What did he not do? Did he conspire against the United States? Based on our reporting at CBS News, the special counsel has phone records. He has memos and diary entries from key witnesses like former Vice President Mike Pence, key eyewitness testimony from people who were inside the Oval Office with Trump. And we got a bit of a taste of this with the January 6th committee in recent years, but they had something in the special counsel's office the January 6th committee never had, which is subpoena power to really go deep with witnesses and not just get public testimony and some depositions. They've gone deep. And I've talked to people who participated in this investigation as lawyers, sometimes even as witnesses. And it's evident to me, based on my conversations with sources, that Jack Smith has a sprawling case Mm -hmm. against former President Donald Trump. Catherine, so as you can see that he has deep, this this reporter has deep sources who are talking about evidence that these sources are providing to Jack Smith, whether it's lawyers or other informants who are saying these are the types of information that is being given over to Smith and what he will have if he can ever get to trial before uh, before um, Donald Trump is, keeps trying to delay the case, right? Going up to the Supreme Court, trying to delay, delay. Why? Because there will be so much evidence and so much cooperation. So they're going to keep running up with, no matter what the issue is. And we'll see if the Supreme Court will allow Trump to use them, which is essentially what he's doing, to get delay. Because as I said, Truth and accountability will only hurt Trump. And so delay is his win, because if he can push the case closer to the election, chances are the case won't go. And then chances are if he wins the election, which I can't believe the polling is showing at this point that he is far ahead uh, or certainly further ahead than anyone would like, then he has made it very clear that he will dismiss the case or potentially pardon himself for this conduct and pardon all the other people who've been convicted for January 6th. So he does not want this case to go. He never wants this case to go. So delay is the win for him because as this reporter, Robert Costa has said, the evidence is going to be incredibly deep and substantial. So let's look at the sprawling evidence that Smith is likely to have. So as I said, there's 0% chance by the way, that he that the Supreme Court will ever um, rule that he should win the immunity argument because he absolutely can't. There's no way that 
he is immune. He, he says he, he's immune from official acts. And he's trying to he's trying to make the argument that if he was if they were official acts, that he can't be criminally prosecuted. But that also doesn't make any sense. So there's no way I would venture to guess that he would win the presidential immunity argument in the criminal context. In fact, I think this could even be a nine to zero against him vote if it ever does get to a vote. But again, he's just trying to delay it so that it never gets to that point. And we'll see if the Supreme Court is allowing him to do that by being complicit. But again, let's get back to uh, this reporting that there is a tremendous, tremendous amount of evidence um, that Jack Smith must have. So just to remember, uh, just to remind everyone, this is the indictment that has four charges and one defendant, although there's... I think six co-conspirators, they have not been charged. This is just United States versus Donald Trump, and it's four charges, right? It's three different statutes, because um, one is charged twice. And it's basically, if you if you want to take a step back and think about what the charges are, it's basically multiple charges um, relying on the same evidence. So even if you lose one or two charges on appeal, you still would have the conviction. And, and this is important because the two of the charges are obstruction of an official proceeding, um, which is 18 United States Code, Section 1512. And um, what there is controversy amongst federal judges about whether or not that would apply to a situation like obstructing the vote count. Most judges all agree with Jack Smith's theory that it does apply. And in fact, most of the January 6 defendants have been convicted under this theory. But there's one particular judge, Judge Carl Nickel, who found that, uh, or held, I should say, that it did not apply to the conduct of trying to obstruct the official proceeding of Mike Pence certifying the votes on January 6th. And, um, but he's been reversed, but that issue has gone up on appeal. But that's a perfect example of why Jack Smith would charge multiple charges for the same conduct so that uh, if for some reason, again, those charges do not apply, at least we have the other two charges. So the other two charges are conspiring to defraud the United States and conspiring to disenfranchise voters. So he's essentially, as I said, charged with the same conduct, but three different ways. And, um, and he didn't venture into anything coming close to free speech or the insurrection or seditious conspiracy. And that way he, he avoided dealing with any of the problems that would come uh, from any First Amendment arguments. So when you look at the Jan, January 6th Select Committee in Congress, they talked about the thousand, over a thousand witnesses that they interviewed, the millions of documents and uh, other information that they reviewed. And they also talked about their limits. And, and if you remember, they also presented, they, they really culled it down to a very small story that they presented over the course of, it was eight hearings, right? But they were still lengthy and there was so much evidence that they had gathered. So that would have given Jack Smith a huge head start about kind of where to look and where to begin and what evidence is out there and what's irrelevant, right? Or what do you want to go deeper on? And what does Jack Smith have that the January 6th committee did not have? And that's subpoena power. 
And why is that important? Because, well, he had subpoena power, right? So that's the way he would work that, Jack Smith would be, he opens a grand jury investigation, and then he has the grand jury issue subpoenas. And you have to comply with those subpoenas if you are, um, if you receive a grand jury subpoena. And it could be for people to come in and testify before the grand jury. It could also be for documents and other evidence that you have to provide. So wherever the January 6th committee fell short, again, Jack Smith would have a head start because they all signaled to Smith and to special counsel's office of where they fell short or where they couldn't get any more information or witnesses who would not come in absent a subpoena. So that's easy for Smith, right? He could just issue those subpoenas. And then there's certain information that you'd need to get a search warrant for. And that usually has to do with content of communications. So if they had to get the content of of um, emails or texts, et cetera. That's usually done by a warrant. Again, something that Jack Smith has the ability to do. We also know that there has been reporting because Jack Smith gave notice of experts that he was going to call of all the phone records that he's going to use. And he's going to use geolocating technology to show uh, where that the, that the supporters, that his supporters who breached the Capitol that day, for example, um, uh, timing-wise started at the ellipse and after the speech went to kind of, to show that there was this intention to obstruct the official proceeding. And so we got a window from, from Jack Smith's notice of his, that he had to do by law, talking about what experts he's going to call, of, of the type of evidence that he was going to he was going to present. We also saw in that um, notice that he had Donald Trump's phone and his text messages and his um, direct messages and any other communications that will be really extraordinarily helpful uh, at the trial. We don't know what they say, but we do know what uh, he has, right? And, and so Robert Costa's reporting went further to say, that Smith also has diary entries from key witnesses like Mike Pence, and that there are eyewitnesses or, or witnesses, live witnesses, who are going to come in and testify in court. Now, they might be under subpoena, again, something that the January 6th Select Committee power did not have in this particular, uh, in this particular, um, this particular uh, committee, um, or, were people who are inside the Oval Office with Donald Trump. And so this is eyewitness accounts. These are people who were in the room where it happened with Donald Trump. And these key eyewitnesses, those in the Oval Office, uh, will be able to absolutely provide content and context and color into Trump's state of mind, what he was doing, what he was saying, what he was being advised, uh, et cetera, which goes all towards criminal intent because it's all about you know, there's a there's mens rea in, in criminal prosecutions in here. It's in, that he had to act intentionally um, and corruptly. And that will all come out through these eyewitnesses, through social media, 
through documents, through text messages, through phones, through all of the information that you could possibly think of. There's going to be no stone left unturned. It'll be every tool that law enforcement has at its disposal. There will be nothing that is going to be left up, up to chance. Every moment, everything, every single contact uh, that Donald Trump had with any individual during the period in question of the indictment, which is November of 2020 through January of 2021, will be uh, his, his every move every day during that period of time and who he reached out to and who spoke to him and who told him what and his efforts with whether it's with the Department of Justice and, and asking them and telling them to investigate these false claims, whether it's all the failed lawsuits that that um, he tried to bring these frivolous claims, whether it's his own statements, speeches, uh, draft text messages, draft direct messages, draft tweets, all any thing that might be uh, contained in a device or someone else's device, frankly, that had had it has information. Jack Smith will have this will be the most just no stone unturned uh, left unturned prosecution that you can imagine. And look, prosecutors do that in big cases, but this is a big case. And um, and so nobody should be surprised by how sprawling Jack Smith has gone. He will have proven everything 10 times under. He will have disproven everything 10 times over because that is how you do it when you prosecute a case. If, if Trump has given speeches and, and said that um, he has, has a, some kind of defense, Jack Smith will have proven that it was false or not true uh, so that he can disprove it. He will be prepared for anything that um, will come Trump's way. So criminal, do not ever underestimate the power of a criminal subpoena and a criminal warrant. It is in, an incredible power to get information, relevant information, admissible testimony, and Jack Smith will have it all if we can get that case to trial. Because as I said, the game for Trump is to not let it go to trial. He never wants this to be ruled on the merits. He doesn't want to get this before a jury because he will lose when that happens. And so again, his game is delay and let's just hope that the Supreme Court doesn't allow that to happen. I'm Karen Friedman Agnifilo with Legal AF. Join me and my co-hosts every Wednesday and Saturday. Thanks for listening. Hey, Might is Mighty. Love this report. Judge Cannon's going to throw out the case for some stupid reason. <laughs> I think Jack Smith would make a great attorney general. So I think Jack Smith need more women on the Supreme Court. Running for president is not mandatory. It's a choice. Getting indicted and having to go to trial is mandatory, not a choice. Should be forced to go to trial first, regardless.
Republicans never get held responsible for their deeds, but normal people fear subpoenas in jail. Yeah. Smith is leaving nothing to chance, extremely thorough. Covering all the bases, can't imagine what a nightmare it is to be Trump's lawyers right now. <laughs> Fly-by-night lawyers versus skilled Master Jack. No contest. Diaper Don can have 50 lawyers. None can outsmart one Jack Smith. It's got the law. Well, it's got the law, justice, and all the power from the Attorney General's office. It's been anointed by Merrick Garland. Yeah, he would be my um, first choice for Attorney General. <sighs> yep. That was posted three hours ago. So this one is Instant Foolishness. We'll come back. <coughs> come until Baka. Come until Baka. Come until Baka. Instant foolishness. Yes. 